0: Good evening. There we go. That sounds a little better. Certainly thankful to be here with you this evening and uh, looking forward to studying with you a little bit of God's Word if I can get this thing hooked on. I'm having a lot of trouble with that, aren't I? I want to talk to you tonight about the connection of baptism to the forgiveness of sins. You know... There's a a lot of disagreement in the world today, and really the question we're going to be asking is this, does God require me to be baptized to be forgiven of my sins? Is that an option? Is that something I can do if I want to do, and not if I don't? Is that something that I should do, and it's a good idea to do, but you you don't necessarily have to do it? Is it something that if I choose not to do it, that God will not forgive. What is the teaching of the Bible on this subject? And as we start, I want to tell you that there are some things that no matter which Christian denomination, and I use that term in the popular sense, no matter which Christian denomination you visit, most of them are going to agree on these things right here with you and I. They agree that salvation requires belief. Almost no one says God's going to save people who deny He exists. Now, I can't say no one, because there is a group of people that says God's just saving everybody anyway. But almost nobody would say God's saving everyone. Almost everyone would agree that to be right with God requires some measure of repentance. It requires you to at least acknowledge that God is the Son, or Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, and allow that to change your life in some way. Almost no one will say that you can deny Jesus Christ with your lips and be right with God. Because they know Jesus said, If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. You know, there is agreement in almost every religious group in Amarillo, Texas, on these things right here. What else there's agreement on is that you should be baptized. Almost every religious group is going to tell you, you ought to be baptized. In fact, most every religious group has baptismals, or baptistries as we call them, in their buildings. Some of them have them right out in the foyers. Almost every group schedules times for baptism. If you go visit one of these great big churches here in town, you'll go in and start looking through their literature. One of the pamphlets you're going to find in every one of them is, hey, I want to be baptized, what's the process for that? Because that's a common part of Christianity. What I want to say though and talk to you tonight about is what we disagree on. We disagree on whether or not baptism has anything to do with the remission of sins. Now, I believe the chief reason for this disagreement is because there's a misunderstanding of remission and repentance. And I want to talk with you about that just for a few moments here. Remission means specifically release from the penalty of Forgiveness or pardon of sin. So you see, when we look at this, release from the penalty, if I remit something, that means you were going to get in trouble, but now you're not. You understand that, don't you? That's a good idea, isn't it? To be released from the penalty of something that you've done that you shouldn't have done. The Word is forgiveness. So when we talk in the Bible about remission of sins, we specifically... Mean forgiveness of sin. Now, the chief misunderstanding is this. Most religious denominations teach that if you want to know if you've been forgiven, if you want to know if you have remission of your sins, what you do is you look into your heart and you consider your heart and you say, Have I changed? Am I different? Do I love God now? Do I want to serve Him now? If I do, then that means my relationship with God has changed and I have been forgiven of my sins. I'm right with God because my heart's different. My heart has changed. But you see, when we look in the Bible, what you find in every case is that when the Bible talks about repentance and remission, it separates those two instead of identifying them as the same. You see, repentance is something that occurs in my heart. Remission is something that occurs in the heart of the one that I've offended. Look at some Scriptures about this with me. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. Notice he's got repent up here and he's got forgiveness way down here. In this verse, they're not the same. He said to Simon, he said, you need to repent and ask God if He will forgive you. You see, the forgiveness was done by God. The repentance was done by the sinner. Those are different actions by different people. Notice this, John came baptizing in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. He went into all the region around Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. You see, repentance was not the remission of sins. In the teaching of John, repentance was for the purpose of the remission of sins. Look at this one. Acts 2.38 Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now, it's very important to understand this distinction. I believe this is the primary reason that we have this argument or this discussion and this disagreement. Is people have been taught to identify repentance with remission and they're not the same. You have a young man who does something that he shouldn't do. He uh, maybe is inconsiderate to his wife. He is the offender, right? He has done something that's wrong. Say he got mad at her and he smarted off to her or spouted off to her or was rude to her in some other way. He shouldn't do that. That's naughty for a guy to do that. Okay, He shouldn't do that. Repentance happens in, whoa, repentance happens here in his heart. You know, he does that and she runs off and she cries and he starts going, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. Man, I could grieve. And he starts feeling bad about it. And he says, you know, my goodness, I, I, I love her, I don't, want to do, I don't want to be that way to her. And he chooses that he's not going to be that way anymore. He decides he's not going to do that anymore. He is the offender and he has chosen in his heart to repent. On the other hand, she is the offended. He has been rude to her, he has hurt her feelings oh so deeply. And she has run to the other room... And she starts thinking about it and she says, you know, he's just, but I know he's under a lot of pressure at work and and I shouldn't have done that anyway. And even though he was mean to me, I know I caused part of it. And you know what? I'm just going to forgive him. So forgiveness happens here within the heart of her. You see, that's a very important distinction to understand. Repentance happens in his heart, forgiveness happens in her heart. He's the offender, she's the offended. After it's over, he's the forgiven, and she is the forgiver. You understand there's a difference. Now, it works the same way with God. With God, you see, you and I down here stand here as the sinner and God is the one that we've sinned against. David said to God, he said, against you and you alone have I've sinned. Sin is against God. And so when my relationship with Him is broken and I need to be forgiven by Him, it's because I've sinned against God. Now, it works the same way in our life. In your life, God commands you to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. So where does repentance happen? If you were to look up here at this chart, where would you put repentance? That's right. Right down here. You see, repentance happens in the sinner toward God. The sinner feels bad about his sin. He says, you know, that's wrong. I shouldn't do that. I'm not going to do that anymore. And he changes his heart or his mind about his sin. Where does forgiveness happen? Well, forgiveness happens in the heart of God, you see. God looks down and God decides whether or not He is going to forgive. You see? So in this scenario, repentance happens here. Forgiveness happens here. And they're not the same. You know, if we were to after services, be standing around out here in the back, and uh, for some reason, I might uh, get irritated at somebody. Let's, let's, Jason, he's sitting right here. Let's pick on Jason. Let's say I get irritated at Jason. He does something, or I get mad because something didn't work on the PowerPoint, and, I, and I, I get upset at Jason, and all of a sudden, I just have this big outburst, and I start screaming. And cursing at Jason, and I've got me a cup of water that I got out of the water fountain back there in my hand, and I just throw it at him, and it gets all over him, and I scream and curse, and I stomp out of this building, and I get in the car, and I roar off down the road, shaking my fist and screaming as I go. Okay, now, let's just imagine that happened. And I get down the road a ways... And I start feeling bad about what I did. and I start going, wow, I shouldn't have had that tea at supper tonight. That was pretty strong. I I don't know what got into me. That was terrible. I shouldn't have done that to Jason. I know he does the best he can, trying to make the PowerPoint work. And I feel bad about it, and I decide, you know, I'm just not ever going to do anything like that again. Now, I've repented, right? I've decided I've repented. I'm embarrassed, because all oh, y'all saw what I did. And so I call Carrie and I say, "Won't you meet me at home?" Because <laughs> I'm not going back there. I'm going on to the house, and you' all have to get somebody else to finish the meeting and all. Am I forgiven?" Well, I changed my heart. I wouldn't ever do it again. Does that mean I'm forgiven? A few weeks later, Carrie and Cheryl are in town. They visit, and Carrie says, Hey, we need to visit about something. And I go, "How? Oh, it's good. It's good. Everything's good. Everything's fine. He said, Well, no, it's not, because I was talking to Jason before I came. And it's not okay. I said, Well, I, wouldn't, I would never do that again, though. You see, forgiveness has to happen in his heart, not in my heart. Repentance happens in my heart. Now, let's just change the scenario just a little bit and say, as I roar off down the road, I never repent. I live the rest of my days hating everyone I see in a green shirt because he was wearing green tonight. And Jason sits here and he talks to the elders and his wife and he says, You know, I don't know what got into him, but hey, we all have hard days. I'm not going to hold it against him. Am I forgiven? I had some nods a minute ago. Am I forgiven? Yeah, I'm forgiven. But my heart hasn't changed. That's okay. He chose to forgive me without my heart changing. Because you understand that, don't you? We've all forgiven people who will probably do the same thing again, right? Because forgiveness is something that the one who's been wronged grants the other person. Now, when we understand that... It's an open question. Maybe Kerry comes to me in town and he says, Listen, Mike, you need to come back out to Amarillo and you need to sit down with Jason and you need to visit with him and you need to ask his forgiveness. And if you'll do that and buy him a new pair of shoes that you ruined with the water, he's going to forgive you. Now you see, he has every right to lay conditions on me, doesn't he? Because what I've done was wrong. So He lays some conditions for that forgiveness. Now let's go back to our topic of tonight. The topic is, what does God require of you and I in order for Him to forgive me? Because looking in my heart doesn't fix that. What I have to do now, that I know, now that I understand that I need to repent, but forgiveness has to happen in His heart. I can ask this question, did He tell me, that I need to be baptized before He'll forgive me? Or did He not tell me that? That seems a pretty simple question now, doesn't it? I want us to look at and consider whether God, in addition to belief and repentance, requires baptism before He will grant forgiveness. And when you talk about this, somebody says, Well, preacher, there are verses in the Bible that talk about us being saved by faith only. So if we're saved by faith only, that means we don't need to be baptized, right? We're saved by faith only. Aren't there verses in the Bible that talk about being saved by faith only? The answer to that is yes, there is. There's one verse in the Bible, just one, that talks about being saved by faith only. You know where that is? This book of James. Let's read it together. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. That's the only verse in the Bible that uses the term faith only. There are no others. And you know what this verse says? It says you're not saved by faith only. You see, the, this passage, what he's talking about in this passage is your faith being a living faith or a dead faith. You see, Abraham had a living faith. You see, he tells us in this passage that faith without works is a dead faith. But faith with works is a living faith. It's a faith that's alive. Now I might tell you that I believe that uh, Zane is the best airplane pilot that ever lived. But I promise you this, I'm not going to get in an airplane with him. Now, I might think that, but that's faith without works, you see. It's a dead faith. It's a useless, meaningless faith. Because it doesn't produce any action in my life. What action is, is me saying, I believe he's a good airplane pilot, and I'll show you because I'm going to go get in the airplane and let him fly me somewhere. You see, living faith is an obedient, working faith. Dead faith is a disobedient, non-working faith. So when when this passage talks about Abraham and him being saved not by faith only, what he means is he's not saved by a dead, disobedient, non-working faith. What he's saved by is a faith that's alive, right? It's a faith that's going to cause me to do something or live in a certain way or produce a certain result in my life. Because it's not dead, but rather it is alive. Someone says, well, but there are verses like John 3.16. You know, John 3.16 promises salvation to believers without baptism. Now, we all know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And down in verse 36 of John 3, it says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Now you read that and somebody says, listen preacher, that doesn't say anything about baptism. It doesn't, does it? In fact, you know what else this passage doesn't say anything about? What about repentance? Do you have to repent? Well, as we mentioned before, almost every religious group will tell you you have to repent. You say, but it doesn't mention repentance in this passage. They say, well, yeah, but if you believe you're going to repent, is that right? (coughs) Yes, it is right. If you believe you're going to repent, I would ask you this that passage and passages like it are they speaking about an obedient living faith, or are they speaking merely about mental assent or mental agreement? A dead faith. When he says you believe in God, is he talking about the kind of belief that's real that makes you do something and makes you serve Him and and do what He tells you to do? Jesus said, if you love Me, keep My commandments. Or is he talking about a dead disobedient faith one that goes, yeah, He's the Son of God. Hallelujah, honk if you love Jesus. Now I'm going to go party tonight. What kind of faith is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the kind of faith that will obey. Did you know the Bible says that the devils also believe and tremble? Did you know Satan believes Jesus is the Son of God? Did you know that? Is he saved? Of course not. Well, why not? Well, because he's in rebellion against God. That's exactly right. And this passage, when it says whoever believes, he's talking about a living Belief, a belief that will produce an action in someone's life. Well, what about the passages that talk about faith without works? Because there are verses that say we're saved by faith without works. For instance, this one right here in Romans 3.28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. So this verse says you're saved by faith without deeds of the law. Without obeying the law, you're saved by faith, right? Well, let's talk about that just for a second. Let me ask you, how can law save someone? You see, law can only justify someone on the grounds of innocence. The only way that a law justifies you is if it says you didn't do it. Right? Right? That's the way it justifies you. It says, You didn't do it. You're not guilty. So you've been justified by the law. And that's the only way that law justifies us. Scripture says this For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. Now, if you do not murder, or if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So what he says here is, when you, you've got the law of God, and God tells you all these things He wants you to do, right? One of the rules is don't kill people. Another rule is don't commit adultery. Now, if you don't commit adultery, but you kill somebody, what's the law going to say about you? Well, you're guilty, right? The only function of law is to say you're guilty or you're innocent. Look at this. As if this helps... Understand, when we have law and we commit sin and that law calls us guilty, that's justice, right? Have you ever told a lie? Told something that wasn't true? Yeah, we've got some honest little kids here in the front. Yeah. God says all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. God's law says, let every man speak the truth with his neighbor. Put away lying. Now let me ask you a question. When you stand before the judge who judges you based on the law, is he going to say you are guilty or is he going to say you are innocent? Well, you know the answer to that. He's going to say you're guilty, isn't he? Because you are guilty. That's all the law does. The law says you're guilty or the law says you're innocent. When you have the law, if you do not commit sin, you're not guilty and that's innocence. That's the way you're saved by works. That's why the Bible teaches we can't be saved by our works because none of us have perfect works. And the only way works can save you is if they're perfect works. And none of us have that. So you're saved not by works of the law, but rather we're saved by grace. Now how are we saved by grace? You're saved by grace this way. There's a law of God. You commit sin. God says you're not guilty. That's grace. You see, when you are right with God because He's forgiven you, He has wiped away your guilt, That's grace. That's not a work of law. That's not something you can brag about. That's not something you can claim that you earned or you did yourself. But rather, that is a gift from God. Now, if God chooses to require you to be baptized before He calls you not guilty, does that mean you earned your salvation? Does that mean you earned your forgiveness? Living faith has always required obedience. Always. In fact, there in James, the two illustrations he gives are Abraham and Rahab. You know what God told Abraham to do? Kill your son. You know what Rahab did? She hid spies. The thing that Abraham was trying to do was commit murder. The thing that Rahab was trying to do was treason. Neither one of those were works that would justify them by any law. But you know what they were? They were living, obedient faith. You see, people of faith have always done what God asked them to do. And if you're Noah, it means build an ark. If you're Abraham, it means load the boy up with wood and head to the mountain. If you're Rahab, it means hide the the spies. The question is, for you and I, did God ask or require you and I to be baptized before He grants forgiveness to us? Now somebody says, well, okay, I see that. But there are some passages, like Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, that just seem to specifically exclude baptism. Look at this. Let's read it together. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. He said, listen, it is a gift. And it's got nothing to do with works. It's a gift from God. You've been saved through faith, by grace, and not of yourselves. It's nothing that you do. What about that passage? Does that teach that God doesn't require baptism? Let me show you a couple of things about that. Number one, if you commit a crime and you're in prison in the state of Texas, the governor can pardon you for your crime, right? He can issue a pardon. In order to get a pardon for your crime in the state of Texas, you have to sign a document that says you will never commit that crime again. Now, let's just assume you murdered somebody and the governor says, I'm going to pardon you for that, but you have to sign a piece of paper that says you'll never murder anybody again. Did you earn your pardon by that? Of course not. Of course not. The pardon was a gift. The governor didn't have to pardon you. He just did. And if he wants to require you to sign a paper saying you won't... Do that again? Then hand me the paper (laughs) because I want to be pardoned. I want to receive that gift, that free pardon that the governor gives me. The same thing is true of salvation. Do you know this was written to the Ephesians, right? This is in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. It was written to the church at Ephesus, right? Do you know how these people were saved? We can read about that in the book of Acts chapter 19 when the church in Ephesus was started by the guy who wrote this. Look what happened. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said unto them, into what then were you baptized? Now, that's a strange question. He said, hey, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, what's the Holy Spirit? And he goes, whoa. Tell me about your baptism. I'm paraphrasing there. He probably didn't say whoa. Tell me about your baptism. Why would he ask that? Because he knew what Peter said in Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Paul knew that. And he knew if these people never heard of the Holy Ghost, they didn't hear what Peter said. So they answer him into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on Him who would come after Him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Jesus then later Paul writes to these people these people right here and he says you were saved by grace through faith not of works it wasn't of yourself so you wouldn't boast about it I'm going to tell you brothers and sisters I don't boast about my baptism it was just an act of humble submission to the will of God there's nothing to brag about. It, uh, it achieves you no merit. It's just humble submission to the will of God. Because you see, obedient faith is still faith. And if God requires me to have an obedient faith, He's still saving me by my faith. My obedience doesn't merit anything. I'm just being saved by faith. Faith is still faith even if God places on us the condition of baptism. Because baptism is not a work of merit. It's not something that I get merit that I earn good from. You see, it's not a work of unsin And it can't justify you on the grounds of innocence. And because it can't justify you on innocence, then it's not salvation by works. It's salvation by grace. So we've talked about a lot of the objections. Is baptism required? I want you to know I believe it is, and I want to show you some passages very quickly that I believe teach that. If when I look at the Scriptures, what I found in every case was if you believe, then you're saved and you should also be baptized. If that's what I found when I read this Bible right here, then I would think I did not need to be baptized in order to be saved. But if, in contrast to that, every place I found... In Scripture that you believe and you're baptized and that produces salvation. If that's what I find, then you know what I'm going to think? I'm going to think that I need to be baptized in order to be saved. I want you to look at the Scriptures with me. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, remission of sins, we've already talked about, is forgiveness. What comes first in this passage? Baptism or remission of sins? Well, baptism does. In fact, what we find in Scripture is that every place, baptism and remission of sins are found together salvation or remission of sin always follows baptism in every case. Now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. You see, we find in every case, baptism is found in Scripture as before Salvation or remission. Somebody says, "Yeah, but that says, "But he who does not believe will be condemned. It doesn't say he who is not baptized will be condemned." That's right, but I want you to look at this. In, in everything we do, including salvation, there's an inward aspect to it, and there's an outward aspect to it. Inwardly, we believe. Romans 10:10 10, 10, he says, "We believe in our heart, right? That's something that happens inside. What do we do inwardly when we believe? Well, outwardly, belief produces confession. You see, if you're around somebody who really believes in something, it's not long before they start talking about it, is it? Because they believe in it. Belief produces confession. Now let me ask you this question. If somebody confesses something they don't believe, what is that? That's a lie, isn't it? If you confess something you don't believe, that's a lie. But if belief inwardly happens, it outwardly produces confession. The same thing is true with repentance. Repentance inwardly, Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. You see, if I don't do this stuff right here, This stuff is meaningless. If I'm baptized but I've not repented, what have I done? Just got wet. We were in Arkansas one time when my kids were pretty young and we stayed at a hotel that had a swimming pool and we don't do that very often. We don't have a swimming pool and that was pretty neat to my kids and we all got out there, all of us, there were several families together. We were swimming and the kids got to baptizing each other. We baptized everybody in that pool over and over. Did that save anybody? No. Why not? Because it was just getting wet. It wasn't repentance. You see, baptism only has value when it comes from a penitent, believing heart. Confession is a lie without a penitent, believing heart. So you see, when He says this, when He says, he who does not believe, if I don't believe, There's no use in talking about that because that doesn't matter. I have to believe because that's foundational in my life. There is therefore now no (coughs) condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. After everything we've talked about, if I found verses that sound like we're in Christ without being baptized, I'd still step back and re-examine But you know what we find in every single place in the Bible? Every one of them. The Bible tells us to be placed into Christ, we need to be baptized. Inside and outside Christ, outside Christ is condemnation. Inside Christ is salvation or no condemnation. How we move from outside to inside Christ in every case in Scripture. Do you not know that as many of us As we're baptized into Christ Jesus, we're baptized into His death. That's the way the Bible says you get into Christ. And brothers and sisters, that's where all spiritual blessings are. That's the only way the Bible tells us that. There's only one other verse that talks about it. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Galatians 3.27 You see, if you're outside Christ and you're condemned and you want to move inside Christ and not be condemned where all spiritual blessings are, the only way the Bible tells you how to do that is through baptism. This is where forgiveness is. And if God wants to require me to be baptized to move into Jesus Christ, He has every right to do that. You know what else we notice in Scripture? When people are saved, they rejoice, don't they? When you read in the New Testament what the Christians in the New Testament believed, when they had salvation, they always rejoiced. And you know when that happened? If we find in the Bible people always rejoicing before they're baptized and then later going and getting baptized, that would make me think they thought they were saved first. But we never find that. In every case, you know what we always find? Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him Now when they had come up out of the water, He went on His way rejoicing. Look at this passage. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And immediately He and all His family were baptized, and He rejoiced. You You see, in the New Testament what we find in every case was they rejoiced when they were baptized. Why? Because they believed that that's when God had granted them forgiveness from their sins, you see. We find that in every case in the Bible where it mentions baptism and forgiveness of sins, in every case, the Bible talks like they're connected. If it talked like they didn't have anything to do with each other, I'd go, well, maybe. But it doesn't. It always talks like they're connected. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. You know, you don't have to be brilliant to understand that. Any of these kids can understand that. It's very simple. It sounds like... They have something to do with each other. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Washing of regeneration. The only washing in Christianity is baptism. And He says, He saved us through the washing of regeneration. The divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. He says, I'm not talking about washing dirt off your body. This is, this is your response. The response of a believing, repentant heart Toward God. This is living faith in action. Most assuredly I say to you unless one is born of water and the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, after reading those verses, does it sound to you like baptism has anything at all to do with being saved? It does, doesn't it? It just sounds like that when you read this book. That's what you get. Now, you may be thinking at this point, well, you know, you've talked about a lot of stuff, but you hadn't talked about the biggie yet. You know what the biggie is? It's the one that you hear all the time on TV. What about the thief on the cross? On the thief on the cross, you've got this guy that's hanging there, and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, This day, you'll be with me in paradise. And the argument goes like this. The thief there hanging on the cross was saved without being baptized. And if he can be saved without being baptized, I can be saved without being baptized, right? Turned on the TV here a while back and Pat Robertson was answering this question about salvation. He said, do you need to be baptized was the question. And his answer was, no, the thief wasn't baptized. You know what I thought at that moment? I thought, hey Pat, Robertson, not (laughs) Manning. Hey Pat, who told you the thief wasn't baptized? How do you know the thief wasn't baptized? Where did you read that in the Bible? Well, you know what the truth is? You don't read that in the Bible. The Bible never says the thief wasn't baptized. Now, I understand if we had, if you want to stay here for another hour, we can talk about the division and the covenants and all that, but I think we're probably about to the end of, of your sitting attention tonight. Let me just ask you this question. We found all of these things right here. We found forgiveness occurs in the heart of God, not in the heart of man. We have found that meeting conditions does not merit or earn salvation. We have found that only innocence would eliminate grace. We have found that baptism is always pictured... As preceding salvation, we have found that baptism places us in Christ where all spiritual blessings are. We have found that those in the New Testament always rejoiced after they were baptized. We've found that Scripture always connects baptism with forgiveness of sin. Now, those are the things we've learned from reading this book tonight. And I would ask you, in light of all of those things, would you be willing to bet your soul that the thief wasn't baptized? Would you be willing to bet your soul that because you've got a story in the Bible about a man that it doesn't mention his baptism that you don't need to do that. I'm going to tell you, I'm not willing to bet my soul on that. I believe the evidence is very, very clear in Scripture that God requires you and I to be baptized to receive forgiveness. So there's only one question that remains tonight. And that question is this. Have you been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you decided, someday I'm going to do that? But you haven't done it yet? Have you given yourself completely to Jesus Christ in repentance and belief, and as a result of that, been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? If you have, I congratulate you and encourage you in living a faithful life. If you have not, I'm going to tell you, you need to do that today. You don't need to postpone that. You don't need to put that off. God will forgive you when you have met the conditions that He laid out for you to receive that forgiveness. If there's anybody here tonight who needs to be baptized into Christ, please come to the front while we stand and sing.